Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the role-playing films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about a 1982 made-for-TV film, arguably part of the satanic panic, or at least the wave of anti-Dungeons and Dragons uh, paranoia sweeping the country in 1982, and that is Mazes and Monsters. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1982's Mazes and Monsters on Tubi, YouTube, anywhere. You can find this so accessibly. So this was a first-time watch for both of us. Did you have an idea of what you're getting into? No, and uh, I think we owe all three of our concurrent listeners an apology, because I feel like... When you listen to a show called Video Store Nightmares, especially when you've been listening to our episodes, you kind of have this expectation of a certain kind of content that we introduce, that we discuss. And those things involve excessive violence, things that require content warnings, uh, every taboo under the sun. And I just want to say from both Luke and I's deepest, darkest hearts, that we are sorry that this film is so fucking vanilla. It, it will be interesting to talk about. I don't know how much research you did, but there's a lot of fucking interesting information uh, behind this movie. You're the scholar. You do the research. So this movie was based on a real life case um, of a guy named James Dallas Egbert III. Uh, he was a student at Michigan State University who disappeared in 1979. And the university is above a network of steam tunnels that are closed off to the students. And so there were rumors that Egbert and his friends played Dungeons and Dragons in those tunnels. And so the press ran with this. Um, it was a, a scandal around the game with parents thinking that, you know, impressionable young people could get um, lose touch with reality and be sort of stuck in the game. There were there were two fields of like attacks on Dungeons and Dragons. One was the satanic element that like they're going to use it to summon real demons and stuff. And the other was that impressionable or mentally unstable people would lose themselves in it, kind of like what happens in this movie. Um, and that's what the press latched onto with uh, the Egbert disappearance. Um, turns out he had run away to New Orleans. Um, he attempted suicide several times, but it never seemed to have anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons. And ultimately, he succeeded in killing himself. Um, but it was while it was still in the news, like while it was happening, uh, a writer named Rana Jaffe who wrote for Cosmopolitan Magazine, as well as I, my understanding is she wrote, um, wrote mostly um, romance novels. But uh, she thought she better hurry and write a book adaptation of this story um, before anyone else got to it. So she supposedly wrote the novel in three days, and that was Mazes and Monsters, and it ultimately became... The movie. Well, there's nothing more American than trying to financially benefit off tragedy. Well, and 
to make this even more complicated, the film was entirely produced or bankrolled. And this may not be true, but I, it sounds true. I, I, I read about it. Um, it was entirely sponsored by Procter & Gamble, the company who makes like Todd, Tide laundry detergent and <laughs> Crest toothpaste. Why? <laughs> there, so that, that's not fully understood, but apparently there was a rumor in the 80s that Procter & Gamble was secretly a satanic company. Um, they, there, was, there was a rumor that, the, that one of the, the executives had gone on some talk show and professed that they were a satanic company and that every year they gave um, some ridiculous fraction of their profits to the Church of Satan. And the the logo that they used, the like man in the moon, that was also uh, suggested as possibly satanic. Um, but they sued a competitor, Amway Corporation. And in 2007, the the jury found against Amway that Amway had um, solicited these rumors or um, had uh perpetuated the rumors over the years and um, they had to pay 19.25 million dollars so some people think that this movie was an effort to combat that image because they were also doing things like sending out pamphlets and donations to christian organizations they partnered with religious leaders like billy graham and jerry falwell to try to rehabilitate their image and making this movie may have been part of that this is so bizarre. Yeah. But this movie is, um, if you haven't seen it, it's um, it's about a group of college students who get together to play this game, Mazes and Monsters, which is just a ripoff of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, although the title is good, right? I think the name of the game is good. Sure. I mean, uh, M&M is kind of uh, already taken as far as acronyms. Yeah. It doesn't really roll off the tongue that way. Well, one of their party, um, played by a very young Tom Hanks, sort of loses touch with reality and is convinced that he is his character in the game. Um, and the others have to figure out what to do about it. What do you think of the story? <laughs> do we know how close this is to the book? No. I, my understanding is um, this is more tame than the book, which would make sense because it was made for TV. It's a romance author that, that wrote the book, so I'd imagine it's a lot more steamy. Do you think Maybe. there's like like sexual LARPing? Apparently, there's something to do with the Tom Hanks uh, character becoming a male prostitute. Ah, okay. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't get in the movie. I haven't read the book, so I don't know for sure, certain. If a listener has read it, you're welcome to correct me. We're in like the year 2023. I think if you have something like a reading list, this is not going to be on it. No, I don't think so. But, like, you know, man, they the human race has just written so much other stuff at this point. Like, why would you ever get around to mazes and monsters? <laughs> Especially since the, the like true story angle was pretty much totally debunked. And we know this is ridiculous, right? This is, this is as I alluded to earlier, part of that wave of '80s media that attempted to demonize 
Dungeons and Dragons or other um, things that were purportedly satanic. Um, so I think the movie, it has that normal after school special type moralizing to it, which I actually usually really like. I don't don't. This isn't my favorite example of it. I mean, before before D&D, it was comic books. I'm not sure what it was before comic books. Mm, rock and roll? Uh, yeah, rock and roll. No, wait, 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 wait. That would have been around the same time. Yeah, it was the same time or after. So maybe that would have been like, okay, so comic books, rock and roll, D&D, video games, social media. Is that is that the order we're going in? Yeah, I mean, there's some... I think there are some other things on the periphery, but that have caused controversy, but those are the major ones. Hmm. It, it's funny though that D and D still, so you know, we're we're thirty years later, forty years later, um, and D and D, if anything, I think is more popular or has a better image than it did then. Well, D and D in general has a better image, but since since then, the genre of like role playing board game or pen and paper role playing game has expanded to so many different IPs that you can't really just call it Dungeons and Dragons anymore. It's like calling tissue all tissues Kleenex, right? Like there's there's just a wide spectrum of potential role-playing systems out there for people to take advantage of. Yeah. Did did you grow up playing D&D at all? No. My my first exposure to D&D was actually through um, the original computer games from, uh, from Black Isle that came out in like the mid to late 90s. So like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, uh, Planescape Torment, that sort of thing. Yeah, I played those a little bit, but... Um, I played D and D a little bit in like middle school and, and then I played it a little bit as an adult, but I never got really into it. No, I've, I've never actually gotten to sit down with a group of people and play like uh, D and D the way it was meant to be done. Everything I've done with drag Dungeons and Dragons has been a like single player computer game esque stuff. Yeah. But and I, I remember specifically like picking up Baldur's Gate like as, from, I don't know, like middle school or something, hopping into it completely unprepared, wasn't able to understand anything going on. And then I had to basically read from, from cover to cover the like 80 plus page instruction book to, to learn the rules of the game so that I could actually function within its framework. Well, in this movie, they decide that the traditional tabletop paper and pencil game is not exciting enough, and so they move it into some local abandoned caverns, um, which is when all the danger starts. This movie was directed by Stephen Hilliard Stern, who um, directed a bunch of stuff, but mainly made for TV stuff. Um, he wasn't like a genre director or anything. I don't think we need to talk about him. And I don't think we really need to talk about any of the cast. Um, everyone knows who Tom Hanks is and the others don't really matter. That's kind of cruel. 
Did you think anyone's performance like really stood out? No, but that's not necessarily their fault. Yeah, it's not like their characters are written with that much meat on the bones. I mean, you asked me about the plot earlier. Um, man, it, it just this just feels like a lifetime film through and through. Yeah, it's it's like an after school special, which, as I said, I usually really like like if you're into after school specials, reach out to me because there are very few of us um, who really enjoy that sort of like melodramatic moralizing. Um, maybe this movie's not melodramatic enough for me. Maybe that's the problem. It really isn't. Uh, I, I thought this movie was going to was going to take a real big turn for the worst. Like, I was just expecting all this shit to hit the fan, but really, it's not that bad. No, I mean, I can see. So if you read the IMDb reviews, there's there's people who are like, my mom saw this when I was a kid and threw away all my Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Or my mom sat me down and made me watch this so I could understand how dangerous the game was. And it's hard in today's day and age to think that this movie would be that frightening to people, to parents. But I guess it was. Maybe it's less the movie itself and the idea that was frightening to parents. The other thing, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but do you think this movie is really like anti Dungeons and Dragons or Mazes and Monsters? Or do you think it's trying to say more about like the dysfunctional families that these kids come from? I, th I think the idea of the film is to be anti Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But I did not get that impression actually watching it. For me, it was more like the the dangers of untreated mental health. Yeah, I mean, there are several there are several times where the characters say good things about it. Like they say, oh, we are working our problems out through the game or, oh, let's solve this mystery using the skills we learned in the game. And in those moments, it almost sounds like it's saying the game does good things. But ultimately, maybe the danger of losing yourself in it is just too great. Like Tom Hanks's fate is too bad. I, I don't know. I mean, D&D &D really is like a giant uh, group building exercise. Right. This, right. So it makes sense. And oh, man, I don't know anybody's names. Um, the, the token, the token girl of the group. Her interaction with Dungeons and Dragons seems to actually be like the healthy way to role play as we see in like modern day usage of D&D. Like in real life, she's like timid and uh, very shy and not outspoken. And then when the game, she plays like some sort of warrior barbarian that's like the main front tank of the party. So she's getting to live out the kind of life that she doesn't uh, feel like she has the the capacity for. All of the characters have like like the movie actually spends quite a bit of time showing us that they all come from like somewhat dysfunctional families or like their parents don't pay attention to them or their parents are fighting or whatever. And it almost suggests to me that like the game is a necessary escape because these kids lives suck, even though they're all like relatively affluent college students. 
I, none of their lives like suck by any comparative standard, but I think the movie wants us to feel that way. Hmm. No, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the the makers of this movie were also trying to say, "Hey, you know, clean your shit up at home." Yeah, maybe. Anyway, let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about the story more. Well, this is a made-for-TV film, a USA original, so we don't really have a, a trailer, but we do have a TV promo. Tom Hanks and his friends get caught up in a deadly game of fantasy. I am the maze controller. Until they take it too far. I propose we play mazes and monsters in a real setting. <laughs> it won't be a fantasy. Too bad for one of them, because now there's no turning back. This is only a game. I know, I killed somebody. Mazes and Monsters. Saturday at 3 on ZTV, Fox 17. Cool. Yeah, the uh, that trailer makes it seem like the game somehow comes alive. Like the monsters escape the book or some shit. Yeah, Tom Hanks has a couple of hallucinations, but he really only sees one monster. Which, by the way, um, what did you think of the monster that he sees? It's all right. It it's like big. a rub. It's a rubber suit. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's okay. It, it's it's played by Kevin Peter Hall, who also played the Predator in Predator. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I and, think that's that guy's whole career. He just played giant, tall monsters. Yeah, he also played the the Bigfoot and Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> there, there's actually quite a few like little cameos in this movie. But let's talk about the main characters. So the first one we meet is JJ. JJ is the one that wears all the different hats. Do you think he did this in the book? Well, wore all the different hats? Wore all the different hats. I have no idea. It could have been the actor's idea. It could have been the costume designers. It's, um, It doesn't really work. Well, maybe that is something a stupid college kid would do. I don't know. But this kid's apparently a genius. <laughs> That's why people kind of ignore it. <laughs> Yeah, he he's he's younger than all the other ones. He's 16 and he he graduated high school early and his mom says he has an IQ of 190. He doesn't against, seem all that smart to me. All odds. <laughs> <laughs> like did he strike you as a genius? No. <laughs> no. I mean, we also don't see anybody's schoolwork. Also, isn't he going to school for comedy? <laughs> Oh, I don't remember. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he's he wants to be a comedian or some shit when he grows up. So all of his college courses are like drama. I, I did like his his mom. Like she's she's not a good mom, but I thought it was funny in the movie that apparently she redecorates his she's an interior decorator and she redecorates his room like every six months so he can never get attached to to a layout. And they're radically different layouts. Um, like the first one we see looks kind of like a mental hospital. Oh, I was thinking like a men's restroom. Oh, but that's fair too. It's like white subway tiles and all white. Yo, this, this man, this kid's mother <laughs> has to be like a super bougie, always working interior designer for like super upper class asshole clients. Yeah, and that was I'm my assuming. impression. I'm assuming she's like a, a single parent because we don't see the dad he's never mentioned. But yeah, she's it, the kind of parent that just works to provide for their child but forgets the whole nurturing part. 
Well, she thinks he'll be really excited about redecorating his room. She has no, she obviously has no sense of like his personality or his interest because then she would do the room in a way that would interest him. But she's obviously not thinking about that. No, she's making a lot of assumptions and, and being that disconnected from your child is is kind of a red flag, especially when they're 16 at that point. Yeah, and in college. And in college. Like, not but having a normal teenage life. We're given the impression that this does happen every six months, so I'd imagine every six months they have the same conversation, and she just totally blows it off every time. Yeah, she seems genuinely confused that he doesn't like his um, hospital bedroom. Yeah, how how dare he be so uh, spoiled as to, as to not appreciate it looks like a bathroom, dude. It looks like a bathroom. Later, like you walk into this house. This house looks like your normal upper class fare, right? And then he goes up this nice wooden staircase down like this this tasteful hallway, turns fucking corner, bathroom. But he likes it when she redoes it. She redoes it as kind of like a I don't know, a director's lounge. Like there's there's movie set chairs with like Humphrey Bogart's name on them and things. Yeah. I uh I'm not sure if that was coincidence or if this was like her way of saying sorry. Cause I don't think it's been six months yet, has it? I don't know. He likes it though. He does like it, yeah. He he's very shocked that she did something he liked. Although it would have been more on brand for him to be like, but mom, I was just getting used to the fucking tile floor and the drain in the middle of the room. Yeah, no. Um, he genuinely likes it that time. Anyway, the second character we meet is the girl. Her name is Kate. Um, her parents are divorced and she seems to resent it. Like she she doesn't want to hang out with her new stepmom. And she's a writer. But she tells her mom that she has writer's block because she hasn't really lived yet. And you're right. She's, she seems like the healthiest of the group. Yeah. At least she's she's like the stereotypical girl, right? She's the first one. She's the only one that, like, understands Tom Hanks and um, knows what's going on with him. And, like, she's empathetic enough to to sense that. The third kid is named uh, Daniel, I think. Yeah, the third kid is Daniel. Um, he's like the stereotypical good-looking kid. Like, everyone talks about how intimidating it is that he looks so good, and he has a, a reputation as, like, a woman's, uh, uh, like, a womanizer, even though he, he doesn't really do that. All he wants is, like, a stable girlfriend. He's just a tall white guy. Yeah, he seemed like the least likely to be playing Mazes and Monsters. Yeah. Do we meet his parents? I don't remember them. Yes, we meet his parents. Oh, yeah, they want him to be like an engineer or something. Yeah, they're like, why do you want to go to school to make video games? And he's yeah, like, th but dad, who is going to make the games? And he's like, <laughs> somebody else and while he's drinking like wine at the dinner table. Yeah. The the kids, they all go to some, like, no-name college that I assume is made up, but his parents want him to go to MIT. No, instead he's going to no-name college to, I guess, learn the same stuff he would at MIT to make computer games? That doesn't really make sense to me. 
Me neither. He he seems to, my my impression was that he wanted like a more laid back, easier college. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So oh, like then he, his mom, his mom is like, you know, you may not be ready for the real world, but the real world is ready for you, and you need to find a job, Mister. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and there then there's Tom Hanks, and his character's name is Robbie. And we see him driving to college with his parents, and they fight. Apparently, his mom is an alcoholic, or at least the dad thinks that she drinks too much. Uh, and, apparently, she does drink. The, the movie gives us that impression later. Yeah. Um, but uh, his mom makes him promise before they drop him off at school that he won't play that game anymore because apparently he had some tr- he was at Tufts the year before and he failed out for whatever reason and had to go to this small college. Um, and apparently the game had something to do with it. We're given no other details. Just assume it's game addiction. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think the movie would have been better if it was more upfront about like what Tom Hanks's background was? I'm sure the book probably goes really far into it. Yeah. This movie did not need to be longer, man. True. It's actually, I found it pretty boring until like the last 30 minutes. Yeah. I was kind of, shit goes really slow. I was actually kind of invested in the beginning. Yeah, that's a what I was about to say. The, a little bit in the caves because I thought shit was gonna get real, and then it just took it. The the ball took so long to get rolling. Yeah, no, I agree. But anyway, all these all these kids get together for the first time because JJ is throwing a birthday party for Bridget Bardot, which I thought was weird. Was she like relevant in the early eighties? Don't think so. I mean, she would have been like. I guess respected as like a classic Hollywood actress, but I guess if we had like a hundred ninety IQ, we could understand where this guy's coming from. Uh, yeah, true. It's just it's too intellectual for us, dude. I just remember the very first scene we see this kid. He's wearing like a fucking Nazi helmet. Yep, with like a spike on top. Yep. His mom is like, "Oh, you've gotten taller," and he says. I'm 16. I'm not getting any taller. And she's like, well, you're smart enough. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But the group um, sort of peer pressures Robbie, the Tom Hanks character, into picking the game back up because like he puts a fucking advertisement up on like a public bulletin board to give you an idea of how long ago this movie was made. And uh, he fucking camps it. He camps it waiting for someone to look at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, man, if some weird guy approached me wearing some funky ass hat, like Gordon's fisherman hat or whatever the fuck he's wearing in that scene, I I don't I don't think I would uh I don't think I would participate in, in mazes and monsters. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I would react to this kid. But, you, but know, you know, Tom, like he's new. He's the new kid. Everyone else knows each other. Like he's trying to make friends and everyone's a new kid, right? It's in it's fucking everyone's first year of college here. No, the other kids all went there the year before. Oh, OK. Because they had a fourth player who like left for some reason. He he failed out of school or something. Probably because um, of mazes and monsters. Yeah. Maybe. But and Tom Hanks is transferring from Tufts, so he's already been a had a year of college. 
you know, Tom Hanks, to his credit, we're just going to call him Tom Hanks. I don't know his character's name. But but Hanks here, to his credit, says no like 50,000 times. Like, I don't want to play the game. You know, I have history with it. I had to change schools because of it. I don't want to get involved. Yeah. And then the fucking girl approaches him. Token girl approaches him. And he can't resist. Yeah. He, fucking he seduced by the nerd girl. The first thing he does is awkwardly stare at her and tell her she's beautiful. And somehow it works. They end up getting together. <laughs> I like to think that's exactly how it happened in the book, too. No, we get a whole montage that shows like their budding relationship where they play the game and study together and jog together. Um, it's honestly, it's like a weird, I don't know, it's a weird element of the movie. It's a weird detour. I mean, it, this was probably in the book because she's a romance novel writer, right? The author is a romance novel writer. So True, yeah. Just her writing what she knows, putting it in. There's no drama around it, though. Like, There's a little bit of drama in it. Yeah, but I didn't care. It wasn't effective. Like, I didn't care if she was dating Tom Hanks or Daniel or whether they stayed together or broke up. Like, It, it didn't feel like it mattered. It, this is not the kind of movie that that gets you emotionally connected. This is like reefer madness for board games. Yeah. In no circumstance are you ever going to take this movie seriously. Which is unfortunate because I would have liked to get sucked into it. Like I like made for TV 70s and 80s moralizing movies. I actually like them. Like I can get sucked into them and like operate on their level. But this one didn't work for me. It was the hats, wasn't it? They didn't help. The hats did not. <laughs> Yo, the beginning of this film is is actually like this really cool shot drive through New York City. Like you get to see like the, the city skyline and all and like the people walk in and traffic move in. And the theme song is so fucking weird. Oh, it's terrible. It's like a it's like a romantic duet. And it also plays over the romance montage. In fact, that's how when you find out it's a duet, right? Because in the beginning, you only hear the the female vocals, and then the male vocals kick in during the romance montage. And it's like, oh, it's a duet. That makes it worse. <laughs> I, all I know is I thought it was terrible. I hated it. it. It's terrible. It's out of place. <laughs> but like... You have that kind of an opener, right? And then the very first thing you're greeted to when the credits come to a close is some guy coming out of a taxi cab with a fucking Nazi infantry helmet. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly meant to be... I don't know. I guess he's quirky. the comic relief. Yeah, he's supposed to be quirky comic relief. Yeah. And I think the quirky comic relief setup is supposed to kind of set us up for a shock moment later on in the film. Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and get to this right now. There, There's a whole, there's a moment, and it's only a moment, where JJ is like lonely and he doesn't have friends. He feels alienated because he's younger and he has a pet bird and he talks to the bird about possibly committing suicide. And he goes to the caverns, these abandoned caverns near the, the campus, presumably to commit suicide. 
But then we never hear anything about that ever again. That was such a huge disappointment for me. Not only to see JJ still alive at the end of the movie, but <laughs> that it's never just addressed again. No, it's like it, basically he gets the idea that they can play mazes and monsters in the caverns as if it was like a live game. And that's enough to lift his depression. I don't know. It, that was not handled well. There was not, he did not have a good arc that I believed. I feel like this is probably something that's more fleshed out in the book, right? It has to be. Yeah, I imagine so. But at this point of the movie, I was thinking, oh man, this dude is going to get himself done in like nutty putty cave style. And it just never happened. Yeah, it was it was really you, strange. You know about Nutty Putty Cave, right? No. It's it's uh a really traumatic caving incident that happened in um I want to say it was Utah in the early 2000s. This guy, you know, married with like at least two kids, decided to go spelunking by himself in this uh place called Nutty Putty Cave. And for some reason, he was possessed to go down a cavern that was not fully explored like normally when you're doing recreational spelunking you stay in areas that have been traveled before that are marked that you know are safe mm -hmm. but this guy decided i'm gonna go through this hole and he went through a very narrow channel and thought he was nearing the end that would open up into a bigger chasm when to his surprise, after squeezing through a very narrow hole, he ended up in a small pocket of rock that he could barely fit in. He was stuck upside down and did not have enough room to turn around. Eventually, he was reported missing. You know, a search was launched. They found him in the cave. And despite trying to save him for, I think, days, they were not able to get him out. And he died suspended upside down. That was despite them breaking his legs to see if they could pull him through, and they still could do it. Uh, he had been upside down for so long, he eventually went unconscious, so he couldn't help them anymore. And uh, they couldn't even retrieve his body, so they just kind of sealed it off with concrete, that that whole, that whole tube, and uh, left him there yeah. as a warning. Sucks. Yeah, so that's what I thought was going to happen to JJ, and I was really disappointed that it didn't go that route. <laughs> Man, this bird, though, this bird obviously talks in, like, a person's voice. What is it, like, a, a magpie mockingbird? What kind of bird is it? Yeah, he tells us. I don't remember. I don't remember. It's black. And it's, you know, it obviously knows really smart 190 IQ jokes, like, birds can't talk. <laughs> what does man, it... At some point, man, I was hoping it'd be like, like, man, bird, I just want to kill myself. And <laughs> he'd just be like, do it, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, pull the trigger. It just never happened, though. Bird's actually pretty supportive the whole time. Yeah, it doesn't say a lot, but the things it does say are odd. I did, I felt more for the bird than I did for JJ. Like, I'm so sorry you're stuck with this guy. When they And he takes it everywhere. When they go at the end of the movie to New York City to like try to find Tom Hanks, they take the bird with them. He says it's for good luck. He it in the car. <laughs> I don't. They were going to his house, but I I never saw him bring it inside. I hope they at least parked it up garage, right? I mean, I don't think we see the bird again after that. No, maybe they did leave it in the car. 
Yeah, and it just like died from heat exhaustion. That's the real casualty of the movie. <laughs> That's the real casualty. Who gives a fuck about Tom Hanks? One thing we learn about Tom Hanks that we should probably reveal is that he had a an older brother who ran away during a Halloween birthday party, and he had given him all his money that he saved to and and the brother was like, Oh, I'll stay in touch, I'll write you all the time, but then they never heard from him again. And he feels guilty, like maybe giving him the money is what caused him to allowed him to disappear. Um this did not seem like a sufficient explanation for whatever Tom Hanks was going through. No, and I don't even think a flashback with an actual actor portraying his brother would have helped either. And like realistically, you know, let's say bigger brother asks younger brother for money. Younger brother says no. Bigger brother's just going to beat him up and take it. <laughs> I don't know why this dude is blaming himself. Yeah, I... I thought maybe the movie was eventually going to tell us that the brother didn't exist, that, you know, Tom Hanks was schizophrenic and he was creating this other persona. But no, it doesn't go that way. Oh, I didn't even consider that. And then that would have been a much better angle. There's well, plenty it, of opportunities where it could have gone that route, too. Yeah, it would have been consistent with the the rest of the movie because we don't know what's going on with Tom Hanks but he gradually begins to take on the personality and believe that he is his character from the game and he starts to see monsters and he believes that he's being given instructions by his missing brother um these are like typical schizophrenic symptoms i think yeah so, well, I that, mean, you know, schizophrenia manifests in, in all sorts of ways, but right. this isn't exactly outside the realm of, of possibility. Right. But we're never... I will say this, this movie never doesn't really reach on that front. No. Like, I could I could believe a schizophrenic would, could play a board game like this, like Mazes and Monsters, and have it manifest delusions that'll go way too far totally believable i see that that's why the movie like if it really wanted to be anti dungeons and dragons right it would take a perfectly normal kid and have him corrupted but we know that tom hanks has some sort of baggage some sort of history he has this trauma of his brother disappearing um we see him showing signs of mental illness like the this isn't someone that the game screwed up. This is someone that was bound to get into something or another. If this movie really wanted to be anti Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, or Mazes and Monsters, whatever. Um, I, I think you're right. They needed to be more slanderous. They needed to have a character that had to drop out of class because or maybe more, all the characters would drop out because they were too engrossed in their game to to function as normal people like maybe you would see their dorm rooms turn like to filthy rat nests over time right that you would find that these people are neglecting their uh their like high basic hygienic needs they're like getting gamer anorexia because all they want to do is spend time in you know maze and monster land and, and i think that's a more realistic fear of not Dungeons and Dragons in particular, but anything you can get obsessed with, 
right? Like getting obsessed with anything is unhealthy. Um, but that's that's not unique to this game. No, but the you know, if as a hit piece, it would certainly present it that way. Yeah, it would be a more realistic um possibility. So it's really strange to me that this is supposed to be like so anti anti D D, but it it really doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what can actually happen. Right. Like and even just one character going down the fucking uh the rabbit hole that way would have gone would have been way more effective than the route that this movie went. Yeah. I, that said, would it would it have been as interesting to watch? No. Hard to say because I did I didn't think this was interesting from the get go. <laughs> yeah, actually, it may have been more interesting because it would have been more like your typical after school special that was like showing issues that real teens were struggling with. Like, imagine if Tom Hanks's character broke up with Token Girl because he was instead in love with some like fictional fucking princess and mazes and monsters. That would have been way more fucking terrifying for parents. No, he actually breaks up with her because his character is a priest and he or a monk, and he thinks that he needs to be chaste. He needs to have his body be pure so that yeah. he can see the way to and the it, to the towers, to the twin towers, the two towers, <laughs> the two towers. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and the entire time I'm thinking, please don't be the twin towers. Like, please don't be the World Trade Center. Oh, I, fi is. I figured it was from the beginning. Uh, I figured it had to be, especially given the time period. Like, anyway. Well, we kind of like jumped off the rails for chrono chronology here. Um, so I guess let's just pick up where they do their very first game in the fucking caverns. Yeah. So when they're when they're in the caverns, one thing that I thought was going to happen because there's a scene where JJ is like the dungeon master or whatever they call it in this movie. And he has set up these pranks like hanging skeletons and things to, to be part of the game and the campaign that they're going to do in the caves. And at one point, the skeleton is like, you have to find these herbs. You have to eat the herbs. And I thought it was going to become a drug thing. Like, I thought they were actually going to take a drug and hallucinate, and that was what was going to set um, one of them loose. But no, that doesn't happen. They never even find the herbs. That also would have been fucking cool. That's where I thought this was going to be like, kind of like Ken Russell's Gothic, where all the characters take a drug, they're trapped in this um, claustrophobic space with... Um, with horror movie props set up and they're dressed in like costumes that could have been fucking insane oh man lsd dungeons and dragons in a fucking abandoned mine shaft and then you just need one kid to take one wrong step and fall like four stories down there's there's your fucking after school special story that's where I thought the movie was going. There were so many times I thought I knew where the movie was going and it went in the opposite direction. And usually that's an entertaining thing because I don't know where the movie's going. But in this case, it consistently went the most boring, uninteresting direction. <laughs> oh, but so this is 
don't know. Because there's so much potential here. Like, I love stuff from this period, like satanic panic stuff that, you know, um, there's this video that everyone should check out. You can look it up on YouTube. It's called Deception of a Generation. And it's basically like, it's a investigation of how children's games and toys have satanic backing um, or satanic imagery or messages like encoded in them. And uh, these two guys, I forget their names, but they're this one guy like woke up one day and decided that this was his mission in life. He had like no, no background with kids, no um, background in education or psychology. Like he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about, but he went in Toys R Us or some toy store and started looking at all the toys and decided, I think, to write a book and start going on speaking tours about the dangers of these games. Um, and and the the deception of a generation video is like an interview with him, but it's fascinating to listen to, like why they thought different toys were were dangerous. It's really funny, um, in a sad way. Like I grew up during the satanic panic time, and it definitely influenced my life and made like made what I was. It censored a lot of what I would have been exposed to, and I kind of resent that. But now I can look back on it and find it funny and fascinating. This movie really could have used less romantic montage and more, you know, four college kids around a pentagram on a table chanting. I I did like that when they get together to play the game, it's like it looks like they're going to have a seance because it's it's dimly lit with just candles. And um, I, it, they seem to be doing their best to make it look like an occult activity. Yeah, but good luck reading your fucking player's manual and that kind of lighting. I know the um, Kate is like balancing her notepad on her knee and she has to get really close to it to see it because it's dark. We should we should mention that the entire reason they even go down the cavern route is because JJ did some dumb shit in game and got his character killed. And then basically his his whole idea of a new campaign was was kind of like when you lose at checkers and you like flip the whole fucking table over. That's exactly what happened. I thought that he like essentially committed suicide in the game on purpose so that he could oh. get everyone roped into his campaign. Yo, how therapeutic by killing himself in game he no longer felt like he needed to do it in real life right wow this is kind of like therapy because that's how games work that's how games work <laughs> that's supposed to be anti dungeons and dragons i know right oh dude do, do you remember like when they meet up at the party like in the beginning and uh <laughs> jj tells like token token girl Hey, did you hear that Tom Hanks is a level nine character? And she's like, wow, level nine? Like, it's some kind of certification. Like, there's, you can have like a fucking card that says, like, yeah, I'm level nine. Like, you can't just say that. They, they <laughs> talked about it like, oh, he plays level nine. Like, like you had to have a certain level of expertise to play at their level. Yeah, um, and th so they were excited that someone else was just as experienced as them. Uh, that's totally how Dungeons and Dragons works. It's obvious that whoever like wrote this or or wrote that part of it has no idea how Dungeons and Dragons works.
No, it's almost as if somebody wrote the story after uh, hearing about it for the first time within, I don't know, three-day time period. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. This is the same party where uh, Tom, Hank, Tom Hanks brings a ball of wine from the future. <laughs> from the future? Yeah, did you notice that? No. Yo, he comes into the party and he brings a ball of wine and JJ's like, wow, vintage like 1987 or some shit. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And you look at when the movie came out and it's like 1982. This dude brings wine from the future. Are you sure? Yeah. Do I play it? I uh, brought you something. Ah, 1987. Great year. Okay. 1987. Huh? You're totally right. He brought wine from the fucking future. Bizarre. Well, let's get back to the scene in the caverns. Um, they all decide to split up for an ill-advised reason. This is like your story, right? Like, why would you split up in a dangerous cavern you've never been in before? Yeah, which is kind of funny because later on at the end of the film, there's a situation where they probably should split up to look for Tom Hanks and instead they stick together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been rational. Uh, the irony in, was hilarious. It would have been rational in the other situation. But yeah, they all separate. And this allows Tom Hanks to come face to face with the monster. And um, he screams because he sees this visage and everyone else comes running. But when they get there, there's nothing there. Well, there's nothing there because he killed it. Right, but... With one fucking sword slash or stab. I'm... Yeah, it's just a pocket knife. No, no, dude. This is when he had his. This is when he had his his fucking R RPG sword. Oh, I thought he still had the pocket knife. Nah, man. This is when he had his his RPG sword out because he was in full costume, right? He has like his priest robes on, his old timey lantern, and all that. But a, he a level nine cleric slayed a giant monster with one attack. Well, he you feels... got a crit, natural 20, 20 on damage. Absolutely bodied that monster. But he feels guilty about it because he says that uh, a cleric or a priest should only use their their weapon as a last resort. And he didn't try to cast any spells first. And the others are all like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, stop playing the game. Because his character is supposed to reason with monsters first and use right. violence as a last result, as last, uh, as last resort. But like, can you imagine trying to to fucking reason with a giant cave monster? I think probably doesn't understand common. No, you'd have to stab it right away. You have to stab it or like, run. There's just too big of a gulf in in your cultures, right? There's no way you can come to an agreement. Like, hey, maybe I should leave, and he's like, well, maybe I'm hungry, you know, and you broke into my house. There's this huge emphasis on getting treasure did you notice that yes every that the whole point of the game is to go into the maze molest the monsters and, but more importantly come out with treasure like there's all this glittering loot everywhere it's almost like robbery i i think i, mean, I guess it is home invasion technically 
I think the writers must have thought that's how the game works. Like that's how Dungeons and Dragons works. The goal is to get treasure. Hmm. I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Do you think that's supposed to make it worse? Because it's it's greed. It's greed based. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, to me, it just sounds like a symptom of like growing up in capitalist culture. I don't really understand like why that's necessarily more evil here than like IRL. Hey, the people who defend capitalism are the same ones who pray to Jesus. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know how any of that works. <laughs> I don't, I, I see hypocrisy. That's all I'm saying. They do make it out of the cave. Yeah, and after this is when Tom Hanks begins to gradually act more and more like his character and he breaks up with kate and um kate thinks there's a problem she tells daniel like he's acting like his character like there's something wrong but daniel isn't worried so well daniel isn't worried because now he wants to date kate <laughs> yeah and uh she's apparently good with it hey, do you think this is also supposed to be a dig like at the game, like, you know, it's encouraging like non-traditional romantic like relationships like in dating in a group. No, I, I think the movie was pro them dating. I, the movie doesn't even seem to be anti like teen sex. It seems to be cool with them sleeping together. I can't imagine a romance author being anti-sex. Fair. Yeah, there, we didn't talk about it, but there's a weird scene where Tom Hanks buys a double bed for his dorm room so that he and Kate can move in together. And she's like, dude, it's way too soon. It's been like a week. Can you even do that technically in a college dorm? I doubt it. I don't think so. I think I think she would still have her own dorm room anyway. These are like luxury dorms where everyone gets their own room. I've never so even seen that. So strange. I mean, I could see it at like a really expensive college or something, but this is supposed to be like podunk who gives a fuck college, right? Yeah, I don't know. I went to a really expensive college and um, there were still shared dorms. But anyway, I don't understand this next part. Daniel is in the caverns, right? And we find out later that he went there by himself to cheat to try to figure out where JJ hid the treasure. But Kate somehow knows he's there and goes looking for him. How does she know he's there? I'm reviewing the historical footage. Give me a moment. I don't think the movie tells us. He goes to the caverns after seeing the robed figure through the sewer pipe, right? <laughs> through the drainage pipe. I don't remember. Yeah, he, he Tom Hanks's character keeps having this vision of like a I think it's supposed to be his god in in like a robe. I think it's his brother. But it, but it looks like it's shot like the camera is placed inside like a drainage pipe. Like it literally just looks like one of those black rubber ribbed drainage pipes that you see on in and sewer trenches on the side of the road. It reminded me of like in Poltergeist, like, don't go to the light, Carol Ann. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. <laughs> um, Why did, yeah, you know what? Why did she go to the caverns? I don't know. It makes it seem like she went there to find Daniel, but there's no reason she should know he's there. 
It doesn't make any sense. They kind of like break up, right? She goes to the bar, meets with tall, tall guy. Daniel. And then they both just go to the caves. Daniel goes to the cave to try to find the treasure. Yeah. But no, he tells right. Kate about that later. Anyhow, this leads to them kissing, and now they're a thing. But I don't know why she's there. Yeah, I don't really get it either. I did not question it when I was watching this movie, though. I was very confused. I, I felt like I missed a scene. But anyway, it's about this time that Robbie, the Tom Hanks character, goes missing. He disappears. And the movie doesn't tell us where he's gone at first, but the rest of them are all trying to figure it out. And their interactions with the police are like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't understand their strategy here at all. Um, I think their strategy is that they're treating all of the teenagers like criminals because they all play mazes and monsters. No, which, as I mean, we know, is the biggest gateway drug. Right, but I don't understand the teen strategy of like oh, lying the police to... involved, but then don't tell them everything. Right. Believe it or not, that that actually does happen, like in in real life. Like you'll have, um, like okay, let's say let's say you uh you really want some drugs, right? But you can't afford them for your dealer, so instead you're like, hey dealer, uh, would you like to borrow my car instead? And in exchange for drugs, and you know, dealer's like, yeah, you know, I need a ride, whatever. So you trade your car for drugs, and then you call the police and report your car stolen. But you yeah. don't mention that you traded your car for drugs. I'm sure that happens, but I'm assuming that person doesn't have 190 IQ. No, <laughs> likely not. Right. And that's my point is these kids are supposedly like really intelligent. And yet their their interactions with the police are weird because they all try to keep it a secret that they play mazes and monsters but they're like, oh, I heard that Robbie might play it and he may have played it in the caverns even. Like, it's so transparent. I don't know why they don't just come out and tell the police what happened. Because of the stigma behind mazes and monsters. Apparent stigma. I guess, but uh, we don't see a lot of that in the in the movie. Like... The the cop doesn't even seem to know what it is, really. He's it's just a game he's heard of. No, they all know about it. Because we're treated to that scene in front of the mines where uh the one detective asks the reporter, like, you know, do you know about mazes and monsters? And the reporter's like, Yeah, my kid plays it. Yeah, but I'm not saying they don't know what it they've never heard of it. I'm just saying that I don't think they know much about it. Like the the movie does not suggest that these cops buy into the uh this is a gateway drug to satanism thing like i don't know it doesn't seem that far along in the panic no they that's that's again that's a huge problem with the movie they they this is supposed to be slandering mazes and monsters but they leave out most of the slandering right so it it doesn't makes sense why the kids are or the teenagers are so afraid of letting the cops know what's really happened and they're going to great lengths doing obviously transparent things to try to feed the cops information 
like because, mailing them the game map because we're supposed to just kind of take it for base value that this shit is going on without them saying it like i don't think it's a problem with with the actual behavior of the characters i think it's a problem with the setup because at no point are we led to believe that teenagers are trying to summon demons while playing this game right, right. like and so far, the only delusion that's happened is from someone who is realistically should have probably been clinically uh, admitted somewhere <laughs> right. for treatment. Uh, well, what the what the detective thinks happened is that they were playing the game. The game got out of hand, and someone killed Robbie as like part of a a part of the game. Fucking zero to one hundred criminal theory. <laughs> and if that's what you actually thought you wouldn't tell your fucking suspects that yeah it's it's not clear whether he actually thinks they're suspects or not he treats them like suspects realistically in a murder investigation you should kind of consider anybody as a possible suspect unless you have reason to believe otherwise um, but you, you ain't supposed to be this blatant about it well, while he's missing, we finally get scenes of him and he's wandering around New York, New York City, looking kind of dazed. And a couple of guys try to mug him. He thinks they want his spells. Well, to be fair, they ask him what's in the pouch. And he said, my spells. <laughs> and then they, they actually wanted it. <laughs> they actually wanted to steal his spell book. Yeah, in his vision, like we see things from his point of view, and the the mugger turns into the same monster that he killed in the caves, and I think he like holds up a gemstone as if that's gonna fight it off, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So then he pulls out a knife and stabs it, and runs. Um. And what do you in, what, like the the real view in the real world vision? He's holding a fucking pocket knife with two hands. In fantasy world, he is he is holding a short sword with two hands. Neither is proper form, really. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because this thug just kind of leaps upon the sword <laughs> with his stomach. <laughs> yeah, I really wasn't clear um, how the mechanics of that scene worked. You know, when you see a guy with a knife that you're trying to mug, the first thing you do is just leap upon the knife. Right. I mean, what's the alternative here, right? Like, he gets beat up by the monster and then, like, walks around the, the, the city, like, dejected and, like, bleeding and wounded. That would have been way better. Do you think that in the 80s, these two would have had guns? Because I think now they certainly would. Now they certainly would, but well, it depends, right? Like sometimes you just actually can't get a gun. So you have to use a knife or you have to pretend you have a gun. Like, you know, you hold it in your pocket. There's also certain, depending on what state you're in, what jurisdiction you're in, like brandishing a firearm, if they can prove that will like upgrade your criminal charge, which is like guaranteed years in jail or I'm sorry, prison. So, uh, by not showing a weapon and mugging somebody, if you do get caught, it's less time in prison, guaranteed. I mean, I think at this point in the 80s, um, guns would have been illegal in New York. 
Um, I don't think the Supreme Court had overturned their gun bans yet. So that's that wouldn't really stop a criminal from having a gun. That's kind of my point is that I don't know if it's realistic that they don't have guns or not, but they don't have guns. So it makes it very easy for him to stab him with his pocket knife. And then this intimidates the other guy or the other guy just doesn't want to be involved and he runs. Yeah. We never find out what happens with the stab guy. No, I, I assumed he was fine. I he, doubt he died from that he pocket. Stabbed in the gut. I mean, if this was like the dark ages, he would have died. Right. Like a hundred percent. But this he, did, he runs to a coin phone, which you know is something you have to explain to people who were born after the year two thousand. Is a phone where you used to put coins into it to call people. <laughs> Before cell phones existed. And he calls Token Girl. And you know, what's crazy to me is that instead of telling him, stay put, we'll come to you, they tell him to go to an address. What the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> They're not. Their IQ does 190. not. 190. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we know you're lost and wandering around in the city. Hey, here's an address. <laughs> Can you write this down? He doesn't even have anything to write it down. <laughs> no, they're they have no idea what his mental state is. They they, they give him a five digit fucking street address. <laughs> yeah, they they want him to go to JJ's, I guess, family house because they. No, presumably know how to get there maybe they can park there but yeah i think i would have just went to where he was because they know where it is he told them what the intersection was so that's so fucking dumb so of course tom hanks goes everywhere but that address well he goes to the subway and then wanders into the tunnels well if for a few moments when he makes the phone call He's like snapped out of it. He's back to being his normal self. Um, and he doesn't remember what's happened for the last few days. Um, he just knows he has blood all over his hands and he thinks he's killed somebody. But almost immediately, he switches back to being the monk or I forget his name, his character name. That's fine. Whatever. Priest monk. Maybe he dual classed. No, actually, I think this was before. This is before Monk existed. Monk wasn't until third edition. Well, I don't a cleric. I, I'm not sure what he calls himself. He's definitely a cleric. Yeah. Um, a cleric and, of the god. Oh, what was this god's name? I can't remember. Never mind. I'm not going to remember that. Yeah. Do you Do you want to talk about his interaction with the guy in the below the subway, the homeless I guy? This, I think this homeless guy only humors him because he fears for his life. <laughs> This, you, you do not survive this long being homeless without having like some sense of uh like character reading right and so he instantly realizes tom hanks's character is fucking crazy yeah i i think he's kind of amused though i think he finds it kind of funny hmm. i'm not sure why i get that sense it's just you know um Tom Hanks tells him, like, you don't have to fear me. I'm a holy man. And he responds with, well, I'm the king of France. And after that, 
Tom Hanks kneels and says, your majesty. Um, and uh, says, can you tell me if the giant dragon talking about the, the subway um, car and at this point, I think that the homeless guy is kind of laughing. But anyway, he asks him about the two towers, and uh, the guy assumes he's talking about the Twin Towers at the World Trade Center, and so he directs him there, I guess. That's supposed to explain to us, I suppose, how he found his way. You know, I think they left the bird at JJ's mom's apartment before they go looking for, for Tom Hanks. Okay. Well, that's that's a, better that's for a the major part. relief to me. Okay, good. So he finds the twin towers. Yeah, and they get there. His friends get there just in time because they figure out the mystery too, um, of what two towers they're talking about. They they figure it out just in time. They fifty um, fifty guess the right World Trade Center as well. Yep. Um, I did think all the footage inside the World Trade Center was cool. I thought oh, yeah. it was interesting to see that. Yeah, it's like vintage, you know, 80s mall shit, except this is like, uh, you know, you know what I mean. It's that 80s architecture you don't get to see anymore. Yeah, and all the all the interior furnishings and the fashion and everything. Like, if you like time capsules, especially of... Uh, you know, public places that we're familiar with, then this is actually a cool movie to watch because this New York footage is really interesting. And this is like the real 80s, not the super stylized 80s from music videos that everybody like attributes as the 80s fashion. No, for a little bit, this becomes like a grungy New York movie. Just for like a hot minute, though. Yeah, it it's it's the best part of the movie. But they catch him just as he's about to jump um, because he thinks he has a spell to fly. Do you do you think he actually thinks that or do you think he on some level knows he's trying to kill himself? Well, he's like crazy schizophrenic, right? So his line of thinking doesn't have to be logical. But we know he's on a quest to to go to these towers to be what closer to his god is that what it's determined to be or is he trying to find his brother uh he keeps talking about um finding the great hall and for a while they think that's a place but then they remember that his brother's name is hall so from there on out i think we're supposed to think he's looking for his brother so then he's not he obviously he's not going to find his brother at the top of the world trade center although that would have been a huge fucking surprise right um you, you know his his delusion has to keep the 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 story rolling right like what does he do from here and i guess he's just supposed to fly off the towers using his levitate spell right but do you think at some level his psyche knows like my brother is likely dead the only way I can find him is by dying too. I'm going to jump off the building. That is way too deep for this movie. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's hard to write with that depth uh, in three days, but... Uh, like, narratively, I can buy that, right? Like, I, I could see that being a thing. But within the context of this movie, I just don't think there's any... I don't think that path exists. Were you relieved that they got there in time to save him, or did you no. not care? 
No, I was desperately waiting for this movie to go off the fucking deep end to like really besmirch the image of Dungeons and Dragons. But nothing in this fucking movie really does that. There's nothing in here that's shocking. Like I want I want it to be like a marijuana like slam like hit piece where like some kid does dope and then turns into a serial killer, right? Like something completely off the fucking edge that like of, of reality. That does not happen in this movie. No. I was waiting for some extreme event to happen and it never came. The the worst this movie does is we get a three months later scene where the friends go to visit Tom Hanks at his mom's house because he's he's out of school for a semester. Um, and when they talk to him, he stays in character the whole time as the the cleric or the monk. Um, and so obviously, like, he's still... Ball, this is like second edition. Come on, man. I, <laughs> I can't I can't get my verbiage straight. Don't expect too much of me. At least I know their names. <laughs> At least, right? Do you think they had any idea he was going to be in character when they came to visit him? Because I, I was, I didn't get that impression. No, I thought, I think they were shocked. I think they're supposed to be shocked. But they go along with it. They, they like, there's a few minutes where they seem befuddled. They don't know what to do. They're dismayed and upset. And then I think it's Daniel who like finally responds in character and they all go off to explore the evil forest together. I would like to play this last closing piece of dialogue because okay. I feel like if anything in this movie is like along the lines of content we normally cover, it's this very depressing ending line. I've seen the spirits dance in this lake in the evenings. They sing a song not unlike yours, really, not unlike the sprites. I haven't been beyond this ridge, but the paths to the forest are clearly marked. And so, we played the game again, for one last time. It didn't matter that there were no maps, or dice, or no monsters. Pardew saw the monsters. We did not. We saw nothing but the death of hope, and the loss of our friend. And so we played the game until the sun began to set and all the monsters were dead. The death of hope, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's overstating it a little bit? Like, I know he's still in his delusion, but the death of all hope like isn't there still a possibility he'll recover i'm pretty sure in like less than 10 years of of this film medicine comes out that can help schizophrenics function naturally <laughs> yeah <laughs> the 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 death of hope and the loss of our friend i mean he didn't die but they're treating it as if he died like he might as well be dead. Yeah. Oh, in re- in real life, the guy died. So, but maybe he hadn't yet when she wrote the novel. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the timing there. 
I mean, from from what it sounds like, it this whole uh, real life situation wasn't resolved until like after the book came out, because otherwise yeah. it would not have came out, right? Oh no, I think I read that his his suicide was like a year after the the media obsession with it. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, this is a good moment to to end on. You want to give final thoughts and a rating out of four? Uh, again, I am sorry for this being the most vanilla movie we ever covered. Um, we will endeavor in the future to to avoid this kind of situation ever again. I mean, yeah, the movie's PG, but we've also have seen PG movies with tits and people getting buried alive and shit. So, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. Except in this case, fucking USA original. We basically reviewed a lifetime original film. That's that's really what it felt like. Oh, hey, we had done uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. That's the other made-for-TV movie we've done. That's way more hosed than this. Yeah, that that's a good one. We both, I think, we both gave it four stars. Yeah, a fucking guy gets put through a wood chipper by a ghost. Anyway, my point is that we're not anti-TV movies here. No, but. We do really need to like make sure that the movie's offensive to somebody, right? This isn't offending anybody. Like real D and D people probably like laugh at this shit. I mean, I kind of laughed at it when I wasn't being bored. I, I think I made my my <laughs> opinion pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, I I think this needed to be way more aggressive. It, it needed to be more slanderous towards mazes and monsters and unfortunately i feel like i mean of course this is like 40 years after it came out um this wasn't much of an anti role-playing game movie for me this is more of a an example of was luke was saying earlier all of these kids are from dysfunctional families this is how they're coping with it and it just so happens that this one guy with mental illness um, that lived untreated uh, just kind of like progressed because of this game. Realistically, though, do you think this would really be like a turning point for Tom Hanks's character, like a point of no return? No. No. I'm kind of reminded of that scene. It was the movie we watched recently where... The woman was hot was hospitalized for mental trauma and then she was recovering but then she got re-traumatized and the doctor was like oh nope that's it she's gone forever now <laughs> yeah. what movie was that i don't remember <laughs> i remember the scene um <laughs> hang on let me look and see what we've covered was it the other hell you know i think it was the other hell that's the only thing I can think of, because um, the other movies we've covered recently, I don't think would have that scene. Maybe School of Death. No, it wasn't School of Death, because this was a modern hospital. Jesus, I don't even remember covering Kiss of the Tarantula. That's it. That was the movie, Kiss of the Tarantula. That's it? Yeah, it was like kissing the tarantula, because the the victim saw the murderer and flipped out. Oh yeah, I remember now. He, he she gets uh spiders in her um there's a spider in her She's, bouquet. Yeah, she survived the spider attack and then got triggered by another spider and then got triggered again and then the doctor's like, "Yep, she's gone forever. She ain't coming back." 
So that that same that same kiss of the tarantula energy here in Maze of the and Monsters. Um, it's incredible that Tom Hanks managed to get a career out of this. I mean, props to him. I think I think Wendy Crewson also went on to have a career after this as well, but I don't recognize anybody else. Uh man, this is kind of an easy one for me just because the movie's not that fun to watch, even if you're viewing it as like a very outdated parody. Yeah, I'm gonna go with one star here. It just wasn't fun to watch. It, it there's a lot of lost potential here. I wanted this movie to be so much more scummy, much more unfair to Dungeons and Dragons. I would have been more happy if they actually summoned a fucking demon from the book. Or maybe they went through a ritual to summon the demon and then they all had like a mass delusion over it. Like that would have been better. I want I wanted to see the dangers of addiction. That would have been better. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um I, I mentioned several possibilities during the episode of like what I thought would happen in the plot, and all of those would been would have been more interesting than what actually happens. Um setting aside the like real life comparisons or the anti dungeons and dragons like political agenda or whatever um taking this just as a movie um it's a lackluster boring made for tv movie that feels like a made for tv movie but i do think it's worth watching um for the historical footage like seeing the world trade center and stuff in the 80s i think is really interesting um, and I think it's interesting to watch as a part of the cultural, you know, something of cultural significance um, to understand the way people got whipped into a fervor against Dungeons and Dragons or got whipped into a satanic panic. Like, I think that's a really interesting period of history to look at and to understand how that can happen in pop culture because it, I mean, it's happening now just about different things, right? And so I, I think that it's interesting to view in that context. But again, as a, as a film, um, as a story taken on its own, I agree with Leland. Um, there's so many more interesting things that could have happened here uh, that didn't. The performances are fine. Um, it, you know, it they feel like made-for-TV, slightly melodramatic performances, but not melodramatic enough. Like, they didn't go big enough. And I think with a movie like this, you have to go big because there's not a lot that happens plot-wise. It's all about the supposed mental effects of this game on these people's lives. So if your if your movie is only about the emotional states of your characters, then you've got to make your emotions big so that everybody understands them. Um because otherwise either the characters are confusing or they seem like paper thin. And that's how these characters seem. So um yeah one star. Tragic. All right, next week, let's watch a movie that I know is entertaining and fun, Evil Speak, from 1981. Have you seen this one or heard of this one? You mentioned it one time in the past. So uh, that that is my only... 
that's my only experience with the film. It looks like it is on, well, potentially on YouTube. I think it is. This is a pretty popular one that I know a lot of other podcasts have talked about, but um, you've never seen it. I, I think it's worth seeing and talking about if for no other reason. Um, this one stars Clint Howard in one of his like only leading roles where he's the lead character. Uh, he's at a military academy and uses an early like computer to um, summon Satan. I'm actually really looking forward to this. It's uh, it's really good. It, it, I, I, you'll have fun with it. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those early Apple computers like we had in elementary school. I'm assuming you had those in elementary school. Uh, I don't think I had any computers in elementary school. I don't think I had exposure to like computers in a class until I want to say sixth grade. We had um, in elementary school, we had the old like original Macintoshes. And the only thing you could do on them was like use the calculator, play Oregon Trail. Um, there were some math games and things that we were allowed to play, but that's really all they did or all we were taught to do on them. Um, oh, you know what? I lied. I just remembered I played number munchers in like third grade. Yeah, you could do stuff like that on them. Um, so you had like the frog and then it would ask you like a... A math question and you'd have to pick out the answer on a grid while dodging enemies i vaguely remember that yeah number munchers but the one i remember the most is the oregon trail did you ever play that yeah of course okay all right i wasn't sure one of one of my very first life lessons when playing the oregon trail was seeing and i could pick a banker and just buy the shit out of all the supplies i need and then getting to the first river and trying to float across it immediately sinking because my cart was too heavy from all the shit that I bought. And that was a life lesson? That was a life lesson, yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad you were able to take that away. It's important. That hey man, Oregon Trail taught kids a lot of things. That's probably the number one educational game of all time. Well, you know what? Our movie next week, Evil Speak teaches nothing there there is there is no redeeming value of this movie whatsoever like it's not it's not that explicit or vulgar or like controversial or anything it's just there's it has no message i don't think if except that being treated as an outcast being, you know, the only nerd at a military academy um, leads to bad things happening. Can't so wait. You, so if you haven't seen Evil Speak from 1981, uh, check it out. This will be our, our second, I think, Clint Howard film after Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Some big shoes to fill. Oh, indeed. Well, for his performance anyway. But if you like Clint Howard, this is the Clint Howard movie. Like, it's his biggest role that I know of. Anyway, so check it out and join us next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. We will talk with you next week about Evil Speak. Have a good one, everybody.
Ha 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 